You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Worship good so far, y'all? Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, hey, we can clap. Let's, let's, we can clap. That's all right, yeah. Hey, will you raise your hand if this is your uh, first time back to the venue since all this craziness? We got any first timers back this morning? Hey, yeah, all right, thanks bro, glad you're here. Not to call you out. <laughs> no, super glad you're here, it's gonna be a fun morning. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians 3. Um, we're in a, a part of Colossians where we're, we're going a little bit slower to, to lean into a few things, um, which I think is appropriate, but Colossians chapter three. And uh, man, looking forward to the passage this morning. I've got a friend in uh, India, his name is Paul, I'll give you the whole story behind Paul, but uh, Paul actually grew up, that's not his uh, original name, he grew up Muslim, he's from Kashmir, India, which is pretty hardcore Muslim, and actually a, a pretty dangerous place. Um, yeah, so much we could say about that, but need to stay focused. Anyways, so uh, Paul was a part of a ministry called Crosstalk that I went with some other men from, uh, pastors from North America and went to, to India and helped just talk about preaching and, and kind of rethinking preaching there in India. Um, really good time. But Paul was telling us about some stories from where he's at in Kashmir and things that have happened. And again, Kashmir, because of the Muslim influence, is not, there's not much Christian background. So when someone gets saved, they come in not knowing hardly anything. We, because of where we grew up in the States, there's just some cultural things that um, we're, you're just kind of aware of. Maybe you went to, even if you're not a Christian, if you went to vacation Bible school as a kid, you're just aware with Christian type things. Anyways, so Paul told a story about he was gonna baptize this man who was coming out of the Muslim uh, belief and b- becoming a Christian. And uh, so he went to baptize him. By the way, this, I thought this sounds like one of those preacher jokes, but this is a true story. So Paul goes to baptize this man. And as he's laying him down in the water, he realizes this man has got his fist up in the air. So Paul like goes to grab his fist and the guy keeps it up. We goes to lay him down in the water again. And the guy keeps his fist up out of the water. So Paul leans into him. He's like, I, of course they're speaking. They're not speaking English, but I'll just translate to how I would say. He's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why won't you put your fist under the water? The whole congregation's watching. And the man told Paul, Pastor Paul, he said, I've got someone that I still want to fight and beat. And so I don't want to baptize my fist because I still need to keep this for myself. <laughs> so Paul leans in, he's like, hey, I'm not gonna baptize you, bro. <laughs> like, like you, can't, you can't cling to your anger and your hatred and say that you're gonna follow Jesus. Like we have some further conversations to have because you can't, you can't do that. Uh, I'll tell you about the rest of the story later. But I thought that was a good image of what some of, so many of us do. You could say that you could apply that illustration to so many various aspects, but especially even to anger. Now, I don't think anyone at Southcrest lately has been baptized and kept their fist out of the air or out of the water. But the reality is so many of us try to cling to our anger, try to, to, try to hold on to it while also trying to say, we're gonna hold on to Jesus, hold on to the gospel. We're gonna see this morning what scripture has to say about that. Here's the thing about anger. It's what uh, Jerry Bridges, he wrote a book called Respectable Sins, and anger is what he would call a respectable sin. 
Not that it is respectable, but in our culture, in our communities, we tend to just, everybody gets angry, angry, right? So like last week we talked about sexual sin and we get, we get real serious about that, right? If someone comes and confesses a sexual sin, you're like, but when someone gets angry or they confess their anger, like, ah, dude, don't worry about it. We all get angry, right? Right? We do that. But the problem we're going to see from scripture is, is it is not a respectable sin. Anger, wrath, rage, they're not respectable. Look what Paul has to say about the sin of anger. Uh, we're going to start in verse five just to, to, to get some context. So again, this is chapter five, sorry, chapter three, verse five. Put to death, again, it's rather violent, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. And here's where we're gonna be at today, just a small portion of verse eight. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, and malice. So scripture shows us Anger is not a cute sin, like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not a respectable sin, like, well, you know, we all struggle with this, so it doesn't really matter. No, he says, to put it away. It doesn't belong. Get rid of it. So when he says in verse 8, when he says, but now you must put them all away, the, the language there, the idea is of laying aside clothes, of, of putting it off, getting rid of it. So like clothes that don't fit anymore, or they're just not your style anymore, or they shouldn't be your style anymore, you put them away, you lay them aside, you don't put them on. It says, that's what you do with anger, get rid of it. And if you get, well, why? I think it's very obvious, verse eight, but now. If you remember in chapter three, he uh, kind of took this turn at the beginning of chapter three, that was based on chapter two of, so you have this new life in Christ, he's forgiven you, you've been made alive with Christ. So in chapter three, you, you're gonna live out your identity in Christ, you're a new person. So, but now in verse eight, that's what he's referring to. So your anger, your wrath, your malice, those are the clothes per se, the characteristics of someone who doesn't know Christ. They don't belong in the heart or on the life of a believer. So put them away. And if you're like, by the way, just to like nail home the idea of it's not a respectable sin. Did you notice these anger, wrath, malice come really right in the context and right after him talking about sexual immorality? Don't we tend to like want to categorize sin? Like, well, man, I don't, I don't do what that guy does. Or I don't struggle with what she does. So I'm actually a little better. Paul puts anger and wrath and malice right up against what it, the sexual immorality, the Greek word pornea, and lust and evil desire. Put them away. It's not who you are anymore. I, I want to real quick um, walk through those three words. They're all kind of under the umbrella of anger, of, of being mad. You mad, bro? But I think we can get a little bit of understanding from walking through them real quickly. Anger, I, I feel silly trying to define that. I don't know that I have to, but it's when you're just displeased about something, right? You're displeased about something that happened to you or the way a situation turned out, so you're angry, you're displeased. Now, anger is an emotion, right? Like, you, you may get, like, we got mad when, uh, 
businesses were shut down or when school got canceled, you didn't get to graduate. So now you have anger, it's an emotion. It's what you do with that emotion that matters. That's why Ephesians chapter four says, be angry and do not sin. So again, when you, when you have that emotion come to you in your heart and your mind, do you hang on to it? Do you cling to that anger? I can't believe they did that to me. How could they say that to me? Do you stoke the fire or do you put it away? So he says, put this away. Anger, the second word he uses, is wrath. Again, all of that same family, and I think there's a little bit of escalation here. Wrath, that at its uh, very root word, the idea is of a fruit that is uh, filling up, about to explode with juice. Which that's kind of helpful with the idea of wrath or rage, right? That your anger is kind of boiling and you can literally, sometimes it feels like it's coming up, right? Sometimes that happens with the words you want to say, right? You get mad in your gut and like, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it, right? That's the idea of wrath. It's this rage that's fixing to boil over. And he says, so anger, wrath, and malice. You don't want to categorize these too much, but I think malice may be, I want to say the worst, maybe the most intense. Malice is not always seen as the most intense because wrath associated with rage. And like when someone's in a rage, you can see it. Like, bro, stay away, from, stay away from them today because they are ticked. I don't know what you can see all over their face. Like, stay away from them. Malice is not always seen on your face, but it's, it's definitely in your heart. Malice is when you want evil or harm to befall somebody. You want what's worse for them. At the very least, you want something bad to happen to them. I was thinking about this. I've not like unpacked this all the way, but I think it's possible at least to, or we should at least consider, we may never be more like Satan than when we have malice in our heart. Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy. That's, that's what he does. He never has your, your best interest in mind. He wants to harm you, he wants to hurt you. When you have malice in your heart, you're acting like Satan. You're, you're reflecting the character of Satan. And the problem Paul's pointing out is, that's not who you are anymore. If you've been raised with Christ, you have this new life in Christ, then put anger and wrath and malice away. They don't belong in your life. That's not supposed to be the clothes that you're wearing. So put them to death, put them away, get rid of them. And if you say, well, man, why, why is that such a big deal? Like, why is Paul saying get rid of it? What does that really matter? I think a few things come to mind. One, it ruins our witness. When, when believers are walking in anger and wrath and malice, it ruins our witness. John 13, 35 says, they will know you're, you are my, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, you will know, sorry, they will know you are my disciples by what? Do you know what it says? By your love for one another. They don't know that you're a follower of Jesus. They don't see something different about you because you wear a Christian t-shirt or because you have a WWJD bracelet. Are those still a thing? Probably not. Anyways, uh, if you're wearing one, that's cool. No, no, no harm there. Um, like, I hate, I hate that guy. Um, don't get angry. <laughs> uh, they don't, or if you have a Jesus fish on your sticker, that's not what's gonna separate you. He says what separates you is your lack of anger, wrath, and malice, and instead your love for other people. That's what shows you're a follower of Christ. So when we walk in anger, wrath, and malice, it ruins our witness. Second thing I would say why this is such a big deal, 
is it is a slap in the face to Jesus to try to hang on to our anger. Because if you just flip, again, probably at least in my Bible, one page over to chapter two, Jesus went to the point of death on the cross to free you from sin, to remove anger, wrath, and malice from your heart. So when you cling to it, when you hang on to it, it's a slap in the face to Jesus. Jesus, I know you set me free from this. I know you paid the price for this. I know you want me to walk in this new life, but I'm gonna hang on to it. And it ruins our witness and it's a slap in the face to Jesus. I think a third thing I would say about why this is such a big deal, you, you could say this like universally, but just thinking of the church, it breaks apart our relationships. It breaks apart our relationships. When, when someone walks in anger, wrath, and malice, like slowly their friend circle, slowly their circle of community begins to shrink. You don't have to turn there, but I think I'm, I don't, I'm not gonna promise this isn't a rabbit trail. I think it's just hitting home why our relationships are so important. In the book of Ephesians, we said this in the fall, we saw that how we grow as a body of believers is yes, ultimately from Christ, who is the head, who nourishes every part of the body. But it's very clear in Ephesians and other New Testament books that we grow as we're interconnected. The idea of like Lone Ranger Christian, you know what, I don't really believe in church, I just kinda do my own thing, I just kinda grow on my own. Like, you, you're not gonna grow into who you should be apart from a body of believers. So when we're living in anger, wrath, and malice that breaks apart relationships, the problem is you're stunting your growth as a Christian. Then if you, so uh, the book before Colossians in Philippians, Paul, he lays out how, in chapter one, he lays out how, man, he's, he's in prison for the gospel, but he says, man, even in prison, I'm getting to share the gospel. People were hearing about Jesus. And he says, I'm gonna rejoice in that because the gospel's going forward. And towards the end of chapter one, he says, hey, I want you to, um, uh, let me just look, sorry. <laughs> He said, I want you to engage in this conflict with me. So he says, you know I'm in prison for the sake of the gospel. You know I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel. I want you to engage in this conflict with me. Engage in the conflict of the gospel being spread. So not engage in the conflict of show up at church and just go through the motions and feel good. No, but like engage in the conflict of taking the good news of Jesus to the world. He says, I want you to do that. And there's a huge shift in chapter two of Philippians where I say shift, I mean like a, an important hinge, where he says, your engaging in the conflict is done by unity. In chapter two, man, really, you could go on how all of chapter two, I think, is in some way, shape, or form about unity. But in chapter two, verses one through 11, he, he walks out humility and putting other people's needs before yourselves and, and striving to put their interests above your own, to be unified. So how do we... What is one really important way we, we spread the gospel, we, we engage and say, hey, I wanna be involved in kingdom work is by being unified. So the problem is when we live in anger, wrath, or malice, or in malice, it breaks apart our relationships. And why is that such a big deal? Because relationships is how we grow and it's how the gospel goes. <laughs> it's how the gospel is spread. Getting rid of anger, wrath, and malice is a non-negotiable. I think a fourth thing I would say about why it's so important to put these off. First John, I believe it's chapter four, says you can't say, you can't hate your brother and say you love God. 
way to say it, uh, maybe say it like in context of what we're looking at in Colossians. You can't cling to your anger and cling to the love of God. You can't say, hey, I'm abiding in the love of God. I know Jesus and also abide in anger. Like if anger and wrath and malice define you, first John would say that you're not a believer. Hear me clear, not that you don't ever struggle with that. We all at the right times when someone presses your buttons are gonna have flare-ups of anger and wrath and malice. But he says, if those define you, if you abide, if the habit of your life is anger and wrath and malice, then you haven't started to abide in the love of Jesus. So this this is an ultimate issue. Why is it such a big deal? If you're clinging to anger and you say, that's just who I am, perhaps you could, should consider this morning if you actually know Jesus. Put them away, anger, wrath, and malice. Get rid of them, is what he says. They, they don't belong. It's like changing clothes. I was thinking, man, what's a, what's a simple picture for that? Not that we need it, but maybe even unpacking like the heart behind why we get rid of the, the angry clothes, so to speak. I was thinking about my kids, which man, they've made it a long way in the service. Way to go, guys, they're still in here. I'm really impressed. Um, uh, it's so funny in the mornings uh, when, it, when it's time to change. Carolina Tate, I mean, she's not been at the breakfast table but for maybe a minute and a half, and she's like, change clothes, change clothes, change clothes, because she wants to go change. Where Haddon responds with, PJs, PJs. <laughs> because Bubba wants to wear PJs all day long. He likes to be comfortable, which I don't, I respect that, okay? Like, and if I was at home all day, I'd probably wear my PJs all day too. Um, He wants to be comfortable and wear his PJs. Here's the little secret about Carolina Tate and why she wants to change so quickly. And actually, there's a little backstory here. So she used to want to wear the same pink flowery, uh, what's the uh, tool? Is that what it's called? The, like, dress that has tool on it every day because she said it was a princess dress. And it's long sleeves, it's pretty thick. And so as summer came, we're like, she can't wear that every day. One, it's gross, and two, she's gonna pass out. And so we just started saying, uh, hopefully she's not really paying attention here. We just started telling her, hey, you're a princess. Everything you wear is a princess outfit. Everything is princess dress. So she could have on like little shorts and like uh, old dirty stained t-shirt. She's like, I got my princess clothes. <laughs> and we're like, you're so beautiful, it's great. Um, everything is princess clothes. So what's funny is, Bubba wants to stay in his PJs because he's comfortable and he's like, it's just who I am, I'm just chilling. Carolina Tate wants to change, not because she likes the process of going through and changing her clothes, she likes to be in her princess clothes because that's how she views herself. And I apologize if she comes up to you and says, I princess, because she may do that. But that's how she views herself. So what she puts on, she's like, I'm a princess. For me, that's helpful in understanding this passage. That I'm gonna be prone to live in anger, wrath, and malice if I'm clinging to being comfortable. It's easy to just, I'm just an angry person if you're just lazy about it. But when your motivation comes from your identity, which is what chapter three is about, when your motivation to change, to put off anger and put on the love of God comes from, man, I've been made a child of God. He's, he's, his spirit indwells in me. I'm supposed to reflect the love of Christ. When you realize you are alive with Christ, you've been made new in him, then your desire is to say, you know what? I wanna put off 
the old clothes. I want to put on clothes that reflect that I am a princess or a prince of the king. Amen. To put it off. The change, all of this in chapter three, the change, the action comes from your, knowing your identity in Christ. That's why he began chapter three with set your eyes on Christ. I think one thing too worth mentioning here in this uh, put away anger, wrath, malice, it's kind of disarming in that these are attitudes, not actions. Now, anger, wrath, and malice lead to action if not like kept at bay, right? Like they lead to action. But notice Paul doesn't say, don't get so mad that you cuss somebody out. Don't get so, so mad that you send somebody a mean text message. Don't get so mad that you punch somebody. He says, no, just put away anger, wrath, and malice. This is about your attitude. This is about your heart, not just about your actions. So if you come to the point this morning, you're like, man, God's doing something. I want to put away anger, wrath, and malice. I want to get off my PJs and put on my prince or princess clothes. I want to live my identity as a, as a believer. How do you do that? Because again, with all of these things, it's easy to say, y'all, I'm going to put away anger, wrath, malice. I'm going to put away sexual sin. But the reality is, like, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you could go home today and go to your closet and be like, all right, all my angry t-shirts, I'm going to get rid of them. <laughs> Which maybe some of you do have some bad t-shirts. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's, it's not how you do it. It's, it's a heart thing. So how do you do it? It's a fair question. Now, I've got some, some simple things that I think are helpful in putting away anger, wrath, and malice. And the first one you may laugh at, but we know it's true get some sleep. <laughs> I was laughing. I think it was the University of, uh, was it Michigan? Let me see here. University of Iowa did a study in 2018. You won't believe what they found. They found that people who don't get enough sleep are actually more angry people. <laughs> Which I'm glad they did that study because it, like, it, it, it put some proof, you could say, to what we all know intuitively, that if you don't get enough sleep, you're in a bad mood. I agree with what D.A. Carson, he's a New Testament theologian. He says, sometimes the godliest thing you can do is go to bed. And the parents of the four-month-old or four-week-old said, amen, right? <laughs> Just go to bed. And the problem is we, we all, yeah, for sure, you need to get more sleep, but then we stay up, right? Go to bed. This is your pastor telling you that a Christian thing you can do today is take a Sunday afternoon nap. Amen. <laughs> Hey, let's be real though. Often we don't go to bed because we have a problem with the second one. Ooh. <laughs> All right, moment of confession. No one's watching in the back. We do have a camera. <laughs> Would you raise your hand? I'm gonna go ahead and raise mine so you know you're not left alone. Would you raise your hand if you've ever been scrolling on your phone? It, it could be TV, but scrolling on, on your phone and looking at either a news app or social media app and found yourself very angry. Will you raise your hand? Thank you. <laughs> like, please don't lie to me. I'll get, very, I'll get so wrathful. <laughs> Seriously, how often are we scrolling on our phones and we get so ticked about who knows what? We can't, it's foolish to always be filling our minds or through our eyes and our, sorry, filling through our eyes into our minds and our hearts, the thoughts, the concerns, the worries, the frustrations of this world. Like, why, do we, why are we then confused that we're angry about things? And by the way, we try to have all these conversations on social media that probably aren't meant to have 
on social media, right? So stop scrolling. And I think one thing I used to tell myself, and I think, okay, I get there's some legitimacy to this argument, but I used to tell myself, um, well, like, I want to be in tune with the times, and I want to know what's going on. And then as I was thinking about this sermon, I thought, and this sounds maybe like a little super spiritual answer, but Jesus did not have social media or news, and he seemed to do okay, right? Like, he seemed to make a difference in the world. So the idea that I have to stay up with all the news all the time and I have to always be on social media to know what's going on, man, that's just not true. And if it's driving, if it's fueling your anger, then stop. Amen? All right, we're gonna get on to maybe some more spiritual things. Okay. This is from James. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We flip those, right? We are... (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to say, we are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger. Too often, aren't we? I always think of it uh, as, you know, if you go out uh, shooting to the shooting range and like, ready, aim, fire. When we're talking to people, we're like, ready, fire, aim, right? <laughs> oh, that's not what I meant to say. How many arguments, how many times have you been anger and are angry and wrathful and had malice in your heart, would that have been reversed or calmed down or squelched if you just would have said, I'm gonna be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger? I think there's almost a build here that if you are quick to listen, if you are slow to speak, you will be slow to anger. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's the third one. Let's look at this fourth one. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. I, I, wanna, I wanna preface that real quick and then we're gonna unpack it. There are times where because you're exhausted, remember, get some sleep, because you're exhausted or you don't have all the facts, there are times where it is wise and prudent to take a breather, maybe give it a day before you have that tough conversation, right? We've all been there where you're so fired up, you're so angry, like you're just like, like you can feel your blood pressures up. You should just wait a day. Like there's some wisdom in that. But there's, if not more wisdom in dealing with the problem right then, not letting it boil, not letting your mind go crazy with, what did they mean by that? You know what I bet they meant? Or you know what they could have meant? Oh man, what if they talked to them? And then we blow up this huge issue when really if we just would have gone and talked to the person quickly, the sun would not have gone down on our anger because we would have dealt with it. Does that make sense? A a couple um, passages I want us to look at real quick. This is from Ephesians 4, 26. We referenced this earlier. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. This is huge. So when you cling to your anger, rather than like, dadgummit, I'm frustrated with that person. Instead of going and talking to them, when you cling to it, I'm just gonna get angry about it, you're just opening up the door and say, devil, come on in and wreck my life. I don't mean like you, I don't mean like you're spiritually uh, or demon possessed, I don't mean that, but like you're giving him a window to, to mess with your head for sure. You're gonna let that anger fester. And you're gonna give him an opportunity to, to, to ruin your relationships, to, to ruin you. 
This is from Matthew, this is from Jesus. But I say to you that everyone who is angry, oh, here we go, with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, am I, am I reading the same thing? Sorry, I, was, I got ahead, I'm sorry. I'll read it again. <laughs> so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. I recognize he's not talking about anger per se there, but I think there's definitely a principle that applies here. That even in work, if you're coming to worship and you realize, man, I've got, I'm at odds with a brother or sister in Christ. Don't just say, well, I'll deal with that later. No, he says, go deal with it right then. Go, go address it. So when I say with a point, don't let the sun go down on your anger, the point is talk to the person quickly. Listen to them quickly. It's interesting. I won't bore you with a bunch of facts here, but um, the University of Michigan did a study over a 17-year period. So pretty solid amount of time there. And I'm not gonna give you like the, the nitty gritty details. What they found is, is that couples who hold in their anger, so rather than just talk about here's how I'm feeling, couples who hold in their anger as a married couple, both of them in the couple on average have a shorter lifespan. Because anger literally hurts your heart. There's a reason why when you're angry, like you're, you feel some, maybe some tension right here because it's quite literally not good for your heart, spiritually or physically. Dr. Chris Aiken, he's a, a MD professor of psychiatry at the Wake Forest University School of Medicine. And uh, they also did some research, research to find that people who get angry and just hang on to it, there's a clear, direct association with heart disease. People who get angry but then go talk to the person about it, the link fades away. Does that make sense? So if you're a person who gets angry and just, oh, just boils, and you're just gonna stay angry at that person, like scientifically, you should expect that you could have some heart problems down the road. But even scientifically speaking, if you're a person who says, I'm not gonna get angry, or I am angry, but I'm gonna go and talk to the person. I'm not gonna let the sun go down on my anger. I'm gonna go and, and have a conversation and be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Your chances of heart disease begin to fade. Amen. <laughs> That's pretty cool, huh? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Two more, then we're done. How do we put it away? How do we get rid of anger? This is the fifth one. Repent for the fruit and the root. Repent for the fruit and the root. So the fruit being anger, wrath, malice, the root being a deeper issue. Man, I'm gonna do a little bit of reading here. Man, this, is, this is super good stuff. Please lean in for this. So again, the fruit being anger, anger is wrong, wrath is wrong, malice is wrong, but often, there's a, a root issue. This is from, remember I, mem I mentioned uh, Jerry Bridges, Respectable Sins, good book. This is from his book. Some people justify their anger as righteous anger. Well, righteous anger is a, a real thing, right? We're gonna unpack that here, right here. They feel they have a right to be angry given a certain situation. 
So the fair question, how can I know if my anger is just sinful anger or righteous anger? Righteous anger arises from an accurate perception of true evil. That is as a violation of God's moral law. Righteous anger focuses on God and his will, not on me and my will. Second thing about righteous anger, he says, it's always self-controlled. It never causes one to lose his temper or retaliate in some vengeful way. And then there's a little shift. So we talked about righteous anger, that is a thing. It says, no one else causes us to be angry. Their words or actions may be the occasion of our anger, but the cause lies deep within us. Usually our pride or selfishness or desire to control. I mean, that, that's the truth. Situ- like in, I've done this recently when we were on live stream. If you had an orange and you squeeze the orange, what's gonna come out? Orange juice, right? The squeezing didn't make the orange juice be in there. The orange juice was already there. The squeezing just revealed what was inside the orange, right? When you get angry about something, it's not righteous anger. It's, it's, if it's anger about you didn't get your way because of pride or selfishness or you like to be in control, that situation or that person did not make you angry. They, cert- they actually just revealed you have a heart problem. You with me? It's what we talked about last week, that all sin is really a problem of loving something more than God because I failed to see how truly lovely God is. It's loving something more than God because I failed to see how lovely God is, how amazing He is. So often, not every time, but the majority of the time when we're angry about something, it's revealing a root problem, that I love something else or myself more than God, and because it didn't go my way, I didn't get my will, now I'm angry. Listen to what Tim uh, Keller says about this. He says, if we find ourselves angry about getting snubbed, the problem might be that we love ourselves too much. Do you know why? Because if what you're really looking to for your significance and security is people's approval or a good reputation or status or something like that, then when anything gets between you and the thing you have to have, you become angry. You're over the top. You can't shrug it off. If we find ourselves angry about getting snubbed in social media or being cut off in traffic or going unrecognized for work or having an idea shut down or feeling underappreciated by your spouse, The problem might be that we love ourselves too much. That's convicting for me. I don't know about you, that's convicting. Righteous anger is a thing, but I'm gonna guess 95% of the time, we are angry not over the things of God, but over the things of us. So the call, how do we put off anger? How do we get rid of it? It's not just say, don't be angry, don't be angry, don't be angry. No, it's to say, God, I wanna get rid of anger, but I also wanna get rid of the, of the root of idolatry, of love of myself or these other things more than you. It's amazing how when your eyes are fixed on God, who is love and who is the God of peace, that suddenly your life begins to demonstrate more love and peace and joy than it does anger and wrath and malice. Amen? And I think that's, The clear, quick lead to the sixth point, set your eyes on Jesus. You said that last week. Yeah, that's kind of a thing in Christianity. We just keep looking to Jesus. We keep keep 
fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, what's going to happen when I say, all right, yes, I'm messed up. Yes, I'm flawed, but I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Like chapter three, verses one through four says, I'm going to pursue him with my mind and with my heart. I'm going to make him what my life's pursuit. When you do that, a few things are going to happen. One, he's going to uproot. He's going to reveal and remove your wrong worship. When you set your eyes on Jesus and see there's nothing and no one more beautiful, more powerful, more amazing, nothing, no one bigger or better than him, he begins to remove those false idols of worship. He's begin to be captivated by him. And when you're captivated by him, you're gonna be less angry and wrathful and malicious about things because you want what Jesus wants. You're gonna be pursuing him and not your own desires. Another thing that's gonna happen when you set your focus on Jesus, he's gonna overcome your excuses. Man, I just can't be, I can't get over angry. I can't get over anger because I've just always been an angry person. And he says, hey, good news. Because you've come to me, you've been raised with me, I've given you a new life. As 2 Corinthians says, the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. You're a new creation. So don't give me that excuse. Oh man, I've just always been an angry person. I can't get over this. I just wish I had someone to help me. If someone could help me, then I could get over it. And Jesus says, hey, good news. I sent the Holy Spirit to be your helper, to help you overcome these things. You say, ah, man, I just can't change. I'm just stuck in that. I feel so deeply rooted. Jesus says, hey, you know what? When you abide in me, and you're gonna begin to grow and produce gospel fruit. When you set your eyes on Jesus, he takes away your excuses. And the last thing I would say, when you set your eyes on Jesus, his love begins to drive out your anger. How can you look to the cross of Jesus, his forgiveness of your sins, and yet cling to the sins of those that have been done to you. So when you realize how much you've been forgiven, God's love is gonna to begin to drive out anger and drive in forgiveness into your life. I mentioned I would tell you the rest of Paul's story. It's really simple. He didn't baptize that guy because he said, I don't think you get who Jesus is. And he went and met with him. And the answer wasn't to just think about being angry. The answer was to set his eyes on Jesus. The more that Paul discipled this man and talked with him, Paul in India, not this Paul. <laughs> Paul talked with him and met with him and said, man, you need to get to know Jesus. When the man actually did surrender his life to Jesus and see that Jesus is bigger or better than anything or anyone, the man was able to let go of his anger. And a few months later, he got baptized, both arms down. Because <laughs> he realized you can't cling to your anger and cling to the love of Jesus. You don't have to be angry because you have Jesus. You don't have to live in anger because you have a savior. I wonder this morning who we might need to apologize to. I'm not saying everybody does. I'm not gonna throw like false guilt on you, but a lot of us may need to apologize to someone. I'll be honest, I, again, I don't think this is a blanket statement, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's super, 
I don't think it's coincidental that we're talking about anger on Father's Day. Dudes, we can struggle, right? We get mad sometimes, we can be hothead. And often we're the least patient and least gracious with our families. That goes across the board. Maybe, maybe dads, maybe today we need to say, hey, I need to be more patient. I need to quit being so quick to get angry. I'm gonna invite you like right now where you're at, maybe just write, if there's something you need to apologize, say, I've been angry towards you, I've been malicious towards you, would you just write their name down? Don't like, you're not gonna show it to anybody, but that's for you to commit to say, I'm gonna go apologize to them. Maybe you just need to confess, Jesus, I've been angry, I've been living in anger, I wanna turn away from that. For sure, all of us as believers, as we sing this song, we can just reflect on the mercy of Jesus and realize that his mercy should lead us to show mercy and grace to others as well. And I wanna say, if you don't know Jesus this morning, you've never repented from your sins and turned to the grace and mercy and love of Jesus offered to you because of the price he paid for you on the cross, man, we would love to talk to you about how you can trust him this morning. So this morning, if you sense God drawing him to yourself and, and realizing your need for a savior, that Jesus is that savior, we would love to talk with you, love to pray with you. Really, we'd love to pray with anybody. So as we sing this song in just a second after I pray, we're gonna have some, some folks from our church, we'll call them our prayer team, they're gonna be kind of around the sides and a little bit in the front, and they're there just to pray with you, talk with you if you've got questions about knowing Christ, or maybe you're just like, man, I'm an angry person, I need some prayer. We wanna pray with you. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna sing this song and respond. God, I pray that this morning you would, would draw people to yourself, Lord. They would see the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and wanna turn to you for salvation, lay down their sin, put aside their sin, and place their faith and trust in you. God, if, we, if we've lived in anger, if we've harbored anger and wrath, I pray that you would remove that from our lives and that we would want to put on our prince clothes, want to put on our princess clothes and live out our identity in you. And God, I pray that would come from an understanding of who you are and who we are in you and the mercy that you have shown toward us. Lord, we know it's not easy to respond. It's not easy to confess. It's not easy to apologize. There's nothing easy about following you. But you are gracious and you are good and you empower us to do the hard things. So Lord, I pray that we would respond boldly to your call this morning. So your name we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 